Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership, and we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. Hey, so so our our um, our podcast is called the Joy of Leadership. Mm. Uh, I kind of jumped into it just because I, I'm I'm such a firm proponent of preparing this next generation of leaders. Yeah, and um, so one of the one of the challenges that that God's brought me. So this is only my only my third stop. You guys have only had one stop, right? Yeah. I mean, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, this is only my third stop in my ministry journey, um, and pr- probably my last school. You know, I would imagine. Yeah. So I mean, I plan on being here for a long time. Um, but, but one of my challenges is one, never to be selfish of leadership yeah. so that, so that sometimes like, man, I'll have my most talented people that I don't want to send sometimes just because yeah. right. selfishly yeah. I want them. Right. Yeah. And so that's one thing. And then the second thing is that I'm, I'm praying for, for us as, as Hebrew and Christian to be able to send a hundred leaders in the next 10 years mm-hmm. for us to train up and then send out a uh, hundred leaders in the next 10 years into different senior leadership positions. And so a lot of times leadership gets kind of a downturn. And, and I love the, the weight and the messiness of senior leadership. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, I love introducing other people to people who love leadership. But I, and I, so I just thought, you know, this kind of gives us an, an opportunity to be able to jump in and, and really expound on leadership. Yeah. You know, the joy of leadership. Um, everybody who's on the show is obviously faith-driven. You guys are obviously faith-driven as pastors. Um, but everybody is so, but not everyone's, you know, coming from a religious context. Uh, we've got doctors and surgeons and different, different politicians will have like different people, but their faith is real and they're taking their faith into their context and, and really kind of expanding the kingdom of leadership. So that's kind of the general emphasis of the program. That's great. Okay. Um, now you guys are senior pastors, right at victory. How's your sound on here? How how close do you want them? Yeah. How how close do we need to be? Yeah, so it, it tends to be. Yeah, you I know. want to like six inches less. Is this, is this okay here? right here? Okay, yeah, that's okay. awesome. <laughs> he pulls it into my face. <laughs> um, uh. All right, so you, so now you, but you guys were at Victory as the campus pastors there, and now you're the big dogs, right? So it actually goes back further than that. Okay, so we we started attending Victory in uh, 1998. Okay, 1999. So, nine, yeah, so the end of 98. Yeah. So uh, I was a college student up at University of Georgia. And I was dating this hot girl named Summer. That's right. <laughs> and uh, her family transitioned from the church that they were at over to Victory. And I, as a wise man, followed. And so, you know, just during, during college years, I would come down and attend. And um, we got married in 2001 and immediately jumped into the young adult ministry there. Within a year, got asked to start helping to lead a small group. So we were already in a small group. We jumped into a small group, got asked to help to lead a small group. And that was the first, for me, leadership decision where I was like, all right, am I, because I remember when they asked us, I just, I kind of looked at her because she's felt a call to ministry and leadership. I'd never, I never want anything to do with that. My dad was Presbyterian pastor. I saw it. I saw the elder meetings and everything. I wanted nothing to do with it. It I wouldn't say it was a desire of mine, but it was more of the Lord at a very young age had said, hey, I've called you to full-time ministry. Okay. And I didn't know what that meant, but later on the Lord would kind of lead us in that direction so yeah she came up and reminded me early in our marriage like hey the lord called me to ministry when i was a kid and i was like well good for you <laughs> I was like, That's, you go for it i don't want anything to do with that and so when we got asked to lead a small group i remember we just i, I kind of looked at her and like like us and but there was this thing inside me that was just like well 
if the Lord opens up the door and they need our help, I guess I'll just say yes. Huh. And so literally that, that decision is what led to every other decision where our whole philosophy on leadership, just personally for us, is we do not open up the doors. We don't bang down the doors. Um, we, we, we see God opens up the door and then points us to it and we just walk through it. That has been our whole entire leadership journey. It is the biggest turnoff for me whenever I see leaders try and bang down doors, just right. personally for me, right. just because th that's how the Lord has led us. Right. Um, yeah, so apprenticing a small group, leading a small group, helping to coach small groups. Then 2003, preached my first sermon. 2005, we Do got asked. Do you want to where you preached your first sermon? In a retirement home. Did you really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I preached my first sermon in a prison. <laughs> it's the truth. Well, there, we both had captive audiences. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I remember preaching my first sermon, and I was like, well, that actually wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And um, so it, it, was a, it was a surprise to me because, again, I got asked. I had no interest in doing it. But I was like, well, if they need my help and, and the Lord's opening up the door, I'll just say yes. And then I'll see where he leads it from there. So, you know, fast forward, preaching a few more times in Fusion, the young adult ministry there at Victory. And 2005, uh, founding pastor of Victory, Dennis Rouse, asked me in, in summer to be the, uh, the Fusion pastors. So we did that for five years. And then uh, the Lord started transitioning our heart. And that was in 2010 when we started Victory Hamilton Mill uh, up here in this area. Right. And did that for about, well, did it for 10 total years. About eight years into that, the formal transition conversation started. And so August 2020 is when we actually took the torch of okay. um, being the senior pastors at Victory. Right in the middle of a very calm time you know. called COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. me too. That's when I, that's when I started at my yeah. recent ministry, right? Yeah. So, so now, did you guys already have a relationship with Pastor Rouse prior to that? Yes. I mean, being on staff, we being at Victory, we've been on staff since 2005. And so um, Johnson had sat in senior executive meetings for a long time, being the young adult pastor. We were both young adult pastors, but as we transitioned to campus pastors as well, we were the first campus, so first satellite campus of Victory. So they took us under their wing. And Norcross is where you guys started? Uh, yes. Norcross okay. is where we started. Okay. And so Pastor Dennis and his wife, Pastor Colleen, took us under their wing, uh, and we were the first campus pastors. So we mm. already had relationship. Of course, once transition was upon their hearts and them starting to speak to us, it, we became even greater in their care and them spending some time with us, mentoring so us. I'm, I'm, I'm so really, like, I'm totally fascinated by the model that you guys have at Victory Church. So at, at Victory Church, it's husband and wife teams, right? There's a ton yes. of you on, yes. On, yes. on staff. How many husband and wife teams do you guys have on staff? Oh, goodness. I mean, oh, all gosh. of our, I would at, say, yeah, our campus at all of our campus all. pastors, their wives are with them. Okay. So. Now, Pastor Rouse had that same model, right? Mm -hmm. He and yes. his wife. Correct. So, so that, that model started with him. Why, do, why have you guys kept that model? Like, I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. Um, and, and I say that because I have 16 husband and wife couples who work, uh, who work <laughs> right. with me and I've made it, I've made a conscious decision for that. It's not something I've shied away from. Yeah. I've actually looked at it as a reinforcing principle of leadership here. But so when I saw you guys doing the same thing, I thought, Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, you know, we, I, I could write a, um, a positional paper on that probably, but, um, in the church, it gets a little dicey, you know, obviously, right. you know, some things that Paul said and, you know, we're, we're lines drawn and what are roles and what, you know, equal, but different roles, all that sort of stuff for us. Um, there, there's a number of things in there. So, uh, I, I, the, one of the best ways that I heard this put a while back, I was listening to a guy, uh, preach who just said he was raised by a single mom. And uh, he said, you know, she did the best she, she could. I love her to death. I wouldn't be here without her. He said, but I was raised over-mothered. Mm. 
there's no way around it. He's like, I didn't have a dad. Um, and so he's like, so I had, I had certain things that, I, that were really big strengths in me and certain things that were really big weaknesses in me. And he said, when I look at the church, he said the church is way over-fathered and way under-mothered. Said, which is why you see the church vision-driven and aggressive, and we're going to take the territory, and we're going to take the next mountain, but they lack grace and compassion. And That's beautiful. Yeah, and so, and so I, what I've seen is um, she makes me softer. I was about to say he's talking about vision and right. driven, and that, yeah. that, is, that is him. Like right. he is, this is where we're going. This is what the Lord said. This is what we're going to do. And then when I think about the gifts and the things God has placed in me, it is more the the heart aspect, not that there's not heart in, within him because there is, but he is the vision. I'm like, okay, how does this flesh out? How right. do we do this? The, that and, moment. And the yeah. And then there's it. the very, we'll just say the natural family dynamic. Um, one of the things, one of the things that pastor Dennis told me early on was 90% of our problems with our men pastors is their wives. Right. And don't take, don't hear that the wrong way. What he's saying is, naturally, and, and he said, it's, it's for many staff, is the husband ends up spending all this time at right. church. Right. And then the wife ends up resenting it, mm-hmm. which then he goes home. He has a great time here. He goes home, and then he has to deal with that. And at some point, he starts resenting it. And either they end up divorcing, or there's just a f- perpetual fracture right. that, that he has to live in that tension forever. So one of the things that we really just believe in is what, what's, what are ways that we can involve the family? What are ways that um, we can help alleviate some of that stress? So it is, it's t- for us, it's a win-win. Uh, and then also understanding, especially in pastoral roles, that um, I, there's only so far I can go with a woman who's dealing with, with That's right. woman issues, right? And so having Summer right there is it lets us tag team some things. It lets, you know, I, if a woman comes up to me in the lobby, Summer can step in and, mm-hmm. and help out right there. So for us, it's just a big win-win. And you guys have been married for 21 years coming up this summer? 21 yeah. years. Okay. September 1st. September yeah, 1st. September. Um, congratulations. Thank coming you. up soon. And it, really, like anything past 20, right? It feels, it feels like <laughs> it a little a bit miraculous, yeah. you know, in, particularly in today's day and age. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, we're coming up on 29 years this summer. Come on. Wow. Big 30 the Come next yeah. Here, so we're we're awesome. planning, we're planning some good stuff for that. Um, we we've we've made that conscious decision. We when we were a young couple, I would love to say we were smart enough to make this decision. It kind of happened by chance, and we kind of rolled with it. But we made we made the determination that we were going to serve together. You know, as we as we made a decision, I was actually in, working in the jewelry industry, believe it or not, in design and sales uh, with jewelry. How in the world does that happen? But, <laughs> well, I, but I have a geography geography major, so. degree. I saw your degree from UGA. I mean, I love how the Lord works. You know. Yep. Uh, but, but anyway, so as I shifted into that, we made that conscious decision that we would serve together and, uh, it's been the best decision other than she stayed home with our kids for eight years, um, when they were little, but other than that, we've served together. And so she is a teacher here on campus and and we've served the whole time. We get asked all the time, like how, like how in the world do you serve with your husband or your (laughs) wife all the time? You know? So, so I'll ask you the same question. So how does that work for you guys? What's the dynamic look like? Is, are there, are there challenges, inherent challenges to that? And if so, how do you handle it? Well, so let, let me say something. Uh, just he got to speak first. Well, no, you saw that, I'm right? going to talk conceptually. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk right. conceptually, right. and then I'm going to let her give a story. Whatever <laughs> she's going to say. No, what, what just came to mind is, and I know not everybody listening today is able to do kind of what we're talking about, but they can do a form of it. So the reality is, just just even think about the words of having two visions. Husband has a vision. A wife has a vision. That's division. Right. So there's naturally going to be you're going one way and they're going the other way. And if you don't have really intentional times of pulling back together and saying, hey, we're on the same page 
in this way, then you're going to start living in opposite directions, which you carry that down 5, 10, 15, that's 20 right. years. Then you become empty nesters and you don't have the kids holding you together. And that's why people end up getting that's divorced. Right. So I think you have some really key decisions early on. That you say, hey, we may be working different jobs, different careers, but we still have to have the same vision or else we're going to have division, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. eventually will tear us apart. So. Right along with that, the, the two highest rates of divorce, nine years, which I think we probably... I think we probably understand both of us have yeah. lived through that that age of divide and conquer and you feel more like divided than you feel like you're <laughs> yeah. conquering. So nine years. But the second highest one is 27 years. Wow. 27 years is the second highest rate of divorce. And, and it comes down to exactly what you were just saying, Johnson. This idea that, hey, you've been existing and the glue that held you together was the busyness of children. Yeah. Around 27 years, your kids have left a couple of years ago and you kind of wake up beside the stranger and find out you have nothing in common. Mm-hmm. And so that's terrifying, right? To think about that idea of nine years and 27 years. So it's, it's being so deliberate with that. Absolutely. You have to be intentional. I think it's recognizing what I love about just our dynamic is he doesn't force me, especially when you're talking about working together and being leadership together. Many times people will assume you should be just like him. You should lead just like him. But he recognizes my strengths. I recognize his strengths. And so in that, when knowing we're both under the same vision, we both have the same goal, I'm going to do things a little differently than he's going to. That's right. And so um, it does come with its challenges, that's for sure. Uh, because men, just being pastors and being in ministry, it definitely takes a toll because some of the work that you're doing is very um, with the pastoral, it's emotional, mm-hmm. right? It can be draining. And so we're both wired different as well. So some of the challenges can be, um, he gets depleted much faster than I do when it comes to dealing with the people's emotions or the heart side. Um, for me, I don't, but if I have a challenge and I want to bounce it off of him, if he's depleted already, then I'll be, if I come to him, sometimes it can be a challenge because he's already depleted emotionally, but I want to share and, hey, I'm having, this is what's going on. Can we talk about this? So, you know, that can definitely be a challenge, I think, in what we do, but um, recognizing one another's strengths and not trying to compete with one another is huge. Good. It's huge. And so many times in what we've just seen in uh, across the Capital C Church, if there is a wife involved, sometimes there can be a competition with her and her husband. So, you know, the, we, we both have this blessing where we're in ministry with our spouses, right? But we do know that 90%, 95% of the people that we're serving don't have that luxury. What I've always challenged people is what, what will end up being at the epicenter of your marriage? In so many cases, people will place the children. Right now, kind of one of my, one of my big you know, soapboxes that I'm on is the idea of youth sports, that youth sports takes this, this outsized center role in the place of families. That ends up controlling their family. Or it's the busyness of kids with drama or whatever, whatever it might be, the different activities that the children are involved in. What I always try to challenge you know, the, the couples that I'm working with who don't have the blessing of being in ministry with their spouses, if the center of your world is still Christ, if your center of your world is something that can hold then it will hold. Absolutely. It will hold through the easy times, the hard times, and even in the 28th year, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. It, right. Is that, is that that's, that's what holds because that's the center. When we make something that isn't big enough to hold our center, 
then it doesn't hold and we shouldn't be surprised. And, and that can't be just passion or affection, although you should still have passion and affection. Right. You know, I've been married for almost 30 years, still passionate, still affectionate. Uh, it can't be youth sports. It can't be anything other than something that's big enough to hold. And I think the only thing that's big enough to hold is making sure that there is a faith context to your marriage that drives who you are and what you're doing. So, so, so let me, let me hit this one idea. Cause I, I love the idea that pastor Rouse kind of brings in this up and coming couple. And now you guys are kind of the mantle passers, uh, in that senior role. So when I look at your staff, are you guys already identifying new people who you're already bringing up, who are going to step into senior levels of leadership? Uh, are you already working through what that looks like? And if you so, if you are, how, how does that look? Yeah, absolutely. So um, have you heard of the book Hero Maker? I have. Okay, so uh, I, I have a pretty long history with that. So I read that 2019 for my first master's class. And uh, so taken aback by it, I, I found Dave Ferguson's <laughs> phone number, <laughs> called him, and so we become kind of fast friends throughout this process. But uh, you know, the whole idea of, of uh, hero maker is that Second Timothy two two two, right? Two twenty two two two, which is Paul telling Timothy, "The things you've heard from me, give to others who are going to give it to others." So four generational leadership, four generational discipleship upbringing. So um, that is absolutely our heart. You know, I mean, it's the old John Maxwell thing. There's no success without a successor, and so. Um, we're in the process even right now of developing stronger pipelines uh, to raise people up. So in our context is uh, our, our primary growth strategy right, right now is through additional campuses. Uh, so to be able to plant in different parts of the city. So here's the thing is what we require of a campus pastor is a little different than maybe what some other churches are going to require of a campus pastor because our campus pastors preach about two thirds of the time. So about a third of the time they're going to stream me in. And then about two thirds oh, of the really? time, so they're going to preach live. Two thirds of the time, it's them live. Yeah, oh. Beca- because there's a lot of contextualization. So Victory Church of 142 different nations. So we're, we're very diverse, very diverse. So um, the what we've discovered is add that onto geographical differences. So the way you pastor a church in the suburbs is different than what, than the way you're going to preach in downtown Atlanta. So you're going to talk about family or money, and you know, in our Nor- Norcross campus years ago, we gave out gift cards to single moms and there were 600 gift cards we had 600 single moms in one weekend up here in the suburbs we had like 45 so whenever you talk about family it's going to be different so we we're we're looking for different people to be able to pastor these different Mm. areas so permitting that contextualization absolutely yeah which is always a dance you know it's you know i'm I'm sure somebody's listening right now is like how do you do that because you know how do we how do we say you're not autonomous but we do allow some autonomy some contextualization right so that's always the dance but um yeah so what i'm always on the lookout for high level leaders and we're we're in the process even right now of developing what is that because this is again we're new in role. So what does it really look like to have a very focused leadership development pipeline? Right now, there's a lot of opportunities for guys to come up and preach at the different campuses and um, have leadership opportunities here. We're creating more spaces in the org charts instead of just like being, you know, at this level, now you can be a director, executive director, trying to give promotional opportunities, move people up. But but strategic times with us, strategic times with the, some of the other campus pastors to begin really developing these guys, give them seats at the table. Like Summer said a, a minute ago, I was brought on in 2005, somewhere probably around 2000, 
seven maybe or so um they invited me into the executive team meeting pastor dennis did and so i just find myself in there my let's see i would have been 27 and i'm just everybody else is like 50 and up and i'm like 27 <laughs> you know sitting at the table and the advice given to me was just don't say anything just sit here and listen <laughs> and i did that for about three years probably i just literally sat in there every tuesday and just listened sure and i learned Oh, that's why these types of decisions. Get it's the made. Timothy to Paul. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Oh, that's why you say it like you say it. Oh, when you say that, that's really what you're really saying. So that's how you lead at this level because I've only been leading at this level. And so I was able to just, you know, kind of be covered in the dust of my rabbi in the sense, you know, just be sitting there and learn from these guys who've been doing it for decades and not just even just say a word. I'm literally just taking taking notes in my phone, taking notes in my mind, which influenced how I led when it was my time to really step up into some Good. of these senior roles. So I, I am really trying to personally develop these pipelines. Some of it for me personally is just exposure over time. Okay. Being having a seat at the table, right. just don't even say anything. If Seeing people for speak the long when you're spoken call. to, right? <laughs> you know, right. and just listen, listen. Yeah, just sit in the soup, sit in the leadership soup for a while and learn. Learn from the guys who've done it for a long time. Now, you time. guys have four campuses right now. How many folks are you serving on, on an average week? So, post-COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, pre-COVID, we were right at around 10,000. Okay. So, physical, physical attendees. Right. Uh, and about uh, 4,000 online. So, now we're at about 6,500 um, physical and about the same amount online. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, that online presence has really expanded. Yeah, absolutely. How, yeah. How, are you, how are you developing community in an online setting, because that's that's one of the biggest challenges, right? Is that mm -hmm. we have these people. I mean, frankly, there's a lot of folks that I've taught, said, "Oh, you know, we do church online," and they really don't, right? There's right. just a lot it's of true. people who have fallen away. Um, but in the, in that online context, it's hard to develop community when you're not physically in person. Mm -hmm. So how, how are you? How are you handling that? Well, we do have online small groups, so okay. we have an online pastor. So every weekend, it's okay. not just um, Johnson streamed out to. The, the platforms online. So we have an online pastor who is pastoring them. So they are, hey, what are your prayer requests? What are the things going on with you? How can we pray for you? But at the same time, we have people who have said, I want to be a small group pastor, like a, an online small group community pastor. So that is one way that we have people connected. So we have people in California. We have people in Virginia. We have Kenya. people, Kenya, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Africa, um, down in uh, some of the Central America. So we have these people saying, hey, I want to take victory here and I want to pastor online. And so um, it, it's happening online just as well. Do we have to be like, very intentional. Will, will that remain in an online format or is the end goal to then start a victory church in Kenya to start a victory? Like what, what are your thoughts for that? Yeah. Well, you know, now you're, now you're getting church world. This is, you're getting me excited here. <laughs> I know this, this, is, this is ecclesiology <laughs> right here. Um, no, I, 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 for me, it starts getting into what is a church. Right. You know, so um, I think the way we define church in America is very American, you know, so you get into some of these other contexts like, you know, in China, the persecuted church underground. Are they not are they not having church because they don't have a band and, you know, a big right. building? You know, right. so what is your we call it? What's your minimal ecclesiology? Um, so what's the lowest definition of what a church is? So for, for us, it's, it's saying, hey, what our plan is right now. So one, I think this is here to stay. We're, we're in COVID, post-COVID world. It's going to go. Like, there, there's no going back. That door's been open. But the, the question is, how do we actually equip the people who are on the other end of that stream to bring church to where they are? So right now, that's our working strategy. So, you know, a lot of guys will just blow up, you know, 
you got to get back in the building. You got to get back in the building. That works if everybody lives like in a 10 square mile area around your, around your location. Right. But again, we got people literally all over the world right. who are, who are streaming with us. That's a long commute. If they're, you know, flying from Thailand, you know, over here. So how do we put the tools in their hand to actually start open up their door to, to help them to be evangelistic with what we're putting into their hands? Yes, I, I, I love that idea, right? Because I think so often, right, particularly in church worlds, uh, you know, I, I, when I used to go to pastoral conferences, it's like the first thing is, what's your name? The, the second <laughs> yeah. question people ask, right. how big's your church? How big's you know, your church? Yeah. How many you know, people do you have? It's, it's, it's right. so funny. It's like set, such a secular perspective yeah. that's filtered into what's supposed to be a gospel-centered place, right? Yeah. And, and, and we, we tend to be so focused on that yes. that we're so worried about what the numbers are for our church. We've lost the mentality of being kingdom-minded. Mm-hmm. Like we've lost this mentality of being gospel-centered. Yes. And so that, that's such a big part of, of, of what you guys are trying to do. And I love of that so it's it, it doesn't have to be about numbers it's not no. about pride it's not about right. building our little fiefdom right. it's yeah. about building the kingdom capital k right yeah. and so that's such a big part now now that goes right along with that one of the big subjects i really wanted to make sure i got with you guys because you guys are known in this area as maybe the most diverse church that's kind of how i hear you guys reference just about yeah. um I have a lot of your people who are here in, in, in my, ministry, my ministry sphere here, and we're a very diverse place in, in, in and of itself. Uh, but everyone that I hear from talks about how diverse. When I look at your staff, you have, you have staff from everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and clearly your people are for everywhere. So, so that began with an intentional stance. That yes, doesn't absolutely. begin it accidentally, <laughs> it begins intentionally. So, so how do you handle that? Um, and how have you fostered that development of frankly, Sunday morning looking a whole lot more like heaven's gonna look absolutely. like, rather than Sunday being the most, uh, uh, or I should say the least diverse day right. of the entire week. Uh, yeah. And so, so how, how, how have you guys handled that as leaders? Well, I would say Pastor Dennis and Pastor Colleen set that foundation in place when they started the church over 30 years ago. So that was their heart. So they started with a, um, this is what, it's what you just said, Dr. Taylor, this is what heaven should look like. And so it is intentionality. Um, I think part of the thing uh, when it comes to staff, when it comes to leading on a Sunday morning, recognizing with how victory has the 142 different nations, you have to be intentional even in what does a platform look like? We need to make sure we are representing uh, the kingdom culture. Uh, we think about with our staff, we, it, it's just it's so in us. It's part of who we are. It's just our core of what we believe and what we believe heaven should look like. But it's definitely intentionality. Um, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say, you know, summer comes from the Midwest. I come from the South. And so I came in very prejudiced back in 98. I didn't know that. I didn't know how prejudiced right. I was until I sat in a room full of people who weren't like me. And I was right. like, oh, gosh, I have a whole lot of stereotypes. <laughs> but then what was beautiful was I realized, oh, wow, these people are not stereotypes. Like, these, yeah. these are people. These are beautiful, amazing people. And they quickly became our best friends. And, you know, our kids end up growing up with them. And it's, it's, it's been the most beautiful experience of my life. Literally, I'm not exaggerating that. Um, but it's setting the Revelation 7 goal out ahead of us, which is every tribe, every tongue, every nation surrounding the throne, worshiping Jesus mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And for me, really what, what, you know, you just kind of alluded to a second ago, Dr. King um, wrote 
and is, you know, so many years ago that the most segregated hours in America are the Sunday church morning hours, which, which is a condemnation of sorts because it's true. And so how the Lord kind of phrased it in my heart was when we live in a sense in a, in a heterogeneous you know, world and we come to a homogeneous church, what we're really saying is that the blood of Jesus is enough to save us, but it's not enough to unite us. And I, I rebuke that narrative. Mm-hmm. I am not going to cooperate with that narrative. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's way to, but what it is, is we have all these little differences. And I get it. Like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But for us, what we come back to, here's, I, I kind of say it in a confrontational way, because I think sometimes it needs some confrontation. But is whatever we put in our own identifier before the name Christian mm-hmm. is an idol. So if I'm a white Christian, then my whiteness defines my Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's an idol. That's right. If I'm a Christian who's white, now my Christianity defines my whiteness. That's right. Right? So who, who's sitting in the throne? Is my, my skin color, my culture, mm-hmm. my background in the throne, or is Jesus in the throne? So, you know, if you're a black Christian, you, you just allowed your blackness to define your Christianity. Are you a gospel you know, music listening, you know, like, so Christian. So therefore I won't go to a church that doesn't have my style or my type of culture. And we got to be careful what we put in the throne of our lives. And so what, what we endeavor to do, and again, it's, it's, it is always, you're, we we call ourselves equal opportunity offenders, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So when you put Jesus first and you try and be Jesus first, it means that you're always going to be ruffling some feathers because, you know, historically in a white context, you call racial issues, political issues. And that's really easy to say when those things don't impact you, you know, the, a black community would say, no, those are gospel issues. Mm -hmm. And what we're called to do is we're called to weep when other people weep and rejoice when other people rejoice. And, and we're called to, um, to be united under the banner of Jesus Christ. And so I think for me, this is a, this is a battle worth fighting. Right. Uh, and, and, he, and it's a nail that when never I say sinks. Fight, it's, like, it's right. like this is a nail we're going to keep hitting Absolutely. and we have Absolutely. to keep hitting. Yeah. You know, that there, there is no room for racism when, when we say that we are faith-based, when Absolutely. we say right. that we are going to place Christ first, there's no room for it. Yeah. We, we studied through the book of Acts with all of our students uh, my first year here. And, and Acts is just filled with all of these barrier-tearing-down oh, yeah. examples, yeah. right? Uh, and we, we kind of forget how radical uh, the Christian faith truly is, where it's giving gender equality, it's giving yeah. racial equality. What I love what you guys have done and what I really applaud you as well is that a lot of your senior leaders are coming from a lot of different backgrounds. So you have, you have, you know, people who are coming from a Latin background, people are coming from an African background, people are coming from an Asian background. I I love the fact that your leadership, you've made that conscious decision that people in your church are going to see people who look like them, Mm -hmm. but the common denominator there is a tie in with Christ. Hey, so I applaud you guys on that, man, the expansion of leadership. I'm I'm super excited about that. I got to get to this last spot before we run out of time. (laughs) So you guys had this awesome vacation, which I'm totally jealous of. Uh, that was kind of a work-related vacation. Yeah. You were over in the Holy Land. You each got tattoos over there, <laughs> yes. too. Uh, I hope it's okay that I mentioned that Absolutely. on air. Uh, but tell me a little bit, br- briefly, about your, about your Holy Land trip. Oh, goodness. Okay, so yeah, so I'm going to Wheaton uh, College right now. I'm in, and now I'm in my last class. Praise Good for you. God. Congratulations. Jesus. <laughs> uh, so this was our next to last class. So this was a combination kind of Old Testament because we were supposed to do this trip several years ago and then COVID hit. So a little bit Old Testament, really New Testament class. So we hopped around from um, Rome to Greece to Israel, uh, all over Israel. 
So super special. We had been to Israel twice before, so this was number three, but we'd never been to Rome, never been to Greece. Um, the highlight of the trip for me was um, getting to go to Corinth. Uh, that was a big deal for me, uh, you know, just uh, seeing the seeing the geography. It, it just reminds me how much geography is in what we read, right. but it still works even if we don't know the geography, but it's a whole different layer. Like, you know, where Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you know, don't you know whoever unites himself, you know, it sexually is like with a prostitute and that he's talking about soul ties and all this sort of stuff. But that's because like right behind Corinth was this huge hill with a thousand temple prostitutes. Mm. Like it's there, right. like you can't, right. you literally can't not see it. And so like now, like the scripture just gets so much more rich being on the shore of the Sea of Galilee again, you know, we're, one of our favorite things is Magdala, you know, there and just, just uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, literally being in the place where Jesus walked it is the, the best way one of my old worship pastors said it was, is the the Bible goes from black and white to real color. Right. And now when you're reading the scriptures, you see the scriptures, which is beautiful. I love it. Yeah, and I would say too, it, it comes alive. So each time we've gone, there's like this new thing that the Lord does or the new this new thing that the Lord shows us we get to experience. Um, we had been to Nazareth before many times and always done this Nazareth experience. But this last time when we went, we went to, I think it was called the Church of Mary, um, which was very interesting, it was beautiful, it was new. But as we were walking through, um, I just love how the Lord <clears throat> will bring new revelation to you. And so as we're walking through, uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, you will see tons of statues of Mary just everywhere. But as we're walking through this Mary Church, um, right there in Nazareth, we find out there were only two churches. They're, they're really, they're probably two blocks from one another. So it's a very small town. And you see this uh, statue of Mary, but she's actually depicted at the age she probably was mm. when Jesus, was, when she was carrying Jesus. Mm. So she looks like a 14-year-old girl, a 15-year-old girl. And it hits me. And I think about, now culturally, obviously, at that time, that is, you know, women would get sure, married younger. Yeah. But I think about this day and age, and I think about the young girls this day and age, and I think about Mary um, being pregnant at a young age, because not being married yet, but pregnant, she, back then, you would have been stoned. Huge you would have been killed. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, all of these thoughts start going through my mind. It's a small town. What were people saying? How were they, how was she being treated? And, and just even thinking about uh, the young culture today. And so it just took on a whole different, um, whole different concept for me. And just as I began to think about uh, not just her caring Jesus, but what she went through during that time. So it's, it's always wonderful <clears throat> because the Lord imparts and just gives us uh, just fresh vision and insight as we visit the different places when we go there. So now you each got some historic ink while you were there. So, so tell tell me kind of the the patterns that you guys are using. How, how old were they? Just kind of walk us through that. The the, the, the ink, yeah, the, the, no, the ink, the, the tattoo oh, that yeah, you got, yeah. yeah, our tattoos. So mine is three hundred years old. Right. It is a lamb um, carrying the Christian cross, and it represents the victorious Lamb of God. And so, uh, and underneath it is the um, olive branch, which re represents, uh, you know, the peace that we have in Him. So mine's three hundred years old. Uh, it's actually an Agnes Day. So we were in Saint Peter's Basilica there in Rome, and Johnson was like pulled up this picture that he had taken and you can see actually a statue of it. So that was like, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. So cool. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have the age on mine. I just know they're very old. Okay. So the, uh, uh, one of the guys on the, on the trip got the same stamp. So everybody's like stamp. So instead of like a, a 
tinsel, you mm-hmm. know, like that they trace paper. It's literally like a wooden stamp that they use because they're that old. Um, when when the guy got um, one that was almost like mine, as as the guy was putting it on his shoulder, like stamping his shoulder, he said, "This stamp has been on the shoulder of <laughs> Crusaders." <laughs> <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's Razuks, which is seven hundred years old wow. tattoo shop, what, oldest tattoo shop in the world, from father to son for seven hundred years. Wow. Egyptian Christians immigrated. So mine, you know, mine is a, is more, is all symbols. So it's Jerusalem cross, uh, which, you know, historically would be Jesus and the four gospels or the four corners of the world. Uh, it's three crowns for father, son, Holy spirit. It's the, the Bethlehem star for the incarnation, Jesus coming down. And, uh, the text dominate Evimus, um, which is a, um, a pilgrim, like a Jerusalem pilgrim, um, inscription that they found from the three hundreds, which means Lord, we went. And so how I take it is Jesus came in the Bethlehem star. So we go. Yeah. Jesus, he came. So we go gospel center. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Hey, it's been such a privilege talking with you guys. It's been a blessing for us today. We've been ch- chatting with Johnson and summer Bowie. Is it Bowie or Bowie? Bowie. It is Bowie. It's all right. Okay. That's my whole like life. I've That's had two different right. people say to me, <laughs> Johnson and Summer, Bowie, uh, lead pastors at Victory Church. It has been such a blessing to be able to have them here. I love your passion for leadership. That's kind of the whole reason why we did this, this podcast is, is really the expansion of the kingdom, the yeah. idea of yeah. expanding leaders, men and women who understand their call and really want to take their call into the world. And so, hey, it's been such Thank a blessing you. to be able to have you guys here today and just to be able to discuss the joy of leadership. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, no greater privilege than to get to lead in his That's name. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on the Joy of Leadership podcast, where we emphasize the blessings of leadership and our call to this vital role.